0: Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the Research Professor of Bible and Theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next
1: Door and thank you for joining us. Uh, We have some very exciting announcements to make today. But before we do, Dr. Woodward, how are you doing?
2: Oh, I'm enjoying the season. It's a season to be jolly, right? I hope you are being very jolly at your end of the street.
1: I am being very jolly, and my name is Nick. So every year, uh, everybody thinks of the original joke to call me Saint Nick,
2: and because you are you are uh, a true follower of Jesus Christ, you become by His grace a saint and one set apart. You are truly Saint Nick. I. This is a revelation. I'm shocked. Yeah, that, this is a delight, delightful shock. I mean, St. Nick. Absolutely. Uh, have, you, have I been naughty or nice? I guess by the grace of God, we get gifts even though uh, we've been a bit naughty here and there, uh, but we seek to confess our sins. I'm getting real spiritual here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's well, probably what they mean by it. Yeah,
2: so anyway, the, the the truth, of course, of apologetics, which is the main focus of our program each week, includes the lived Christian life. Would you agree, my brother?
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, as I have said in so many of my um, talks here and there on university campuses as well as you know our own conferences down here, there are four pillars that support the absolute validity, truthfulness, credibility, and even verification of the Christian faith. And those four pillars that are grounded on the Word of God, each one of them fits perfectly in the Word of God. Those four pillars are? the scientific evidence, the historical evidence, the philosophical evidence and reasoning, and last but not least, the transformation evidence from our own lives as we yield to the Lord. I'm just really excited with spiritual growth as an example of the Christian life. And of course, the Christian life literally, not just metaphorically, but literally is patterned after the life of Christ himself. So Isn't it amazing that we're celebrating the entry of our rightful king who landed in disguise, the disguise being a baby born to a virgin on enemy-held territory? That's the way C.S. Lewis described it. But I'd like to focus on C.S. Lewis's image in a broader sense of the life of Christ as a shock that sends its own truth tremors through our own system of evaluating what is the ultimate reality, namely God in Christ to redeem us. But before we get into that, could I share a couple of uh, exciting announcements?
1: Ooh, I can't wait.
2: (laughs) Uh, I bet you're on the edge of your seat, as I hope everybody listening to the program is. We
1: have coming up
2: in the next few weeks on our program, the one and only Gregory. He's a brother, Gregory, uh, Dr. Gregory Gay, author of this new book, uh, Communicating the Controversy as as an Attorney. He's a student of scripture, he's a student of science, and he's a student of um, really the controversy in particular over creation, evolution, intelligent design, and science in uh, their whole approach to things of the universe and God. So I'm pretty excited that we're going to be able to have him. He's been one of my students. He's been one of those A-plusers that uh, keeps hitting the ball of the ballpark. So I think we're going to have a great time with him, and I think you're pretty excited about that, too. Nick, you'll be my uh, right-hand man and getting those interviews out. I think we may actually bring him on for two programs. It's going to be awesome. And mm-hmm. can, can you think of anybody up in Lehigh University in Pennsylvania who might also be joining us? Nick?
1: Oh, uh, let me think. Michael Behe. Oh, you got it.
2: Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. Okay, so we're excited that one and only, the one and only author of Darwin's Black Box, the author of the follow-up blockbuster Edge of Evolution, and now the author of the trilogy, the completion of the trilogy, and the book Darwin Devolves is going to be with us. He has agreed to, to actually sit down for two programs, and he's going to be talking about his uh, incredible new blockbuster, uh, A Mousetrap for Darwin. And I've just begun to devouring uh, mine. It's uh, juicy. It's succulent. It's like a, a, a very extended smorgasbord at the green, uh, was it... Uh, Sweet Tomatoes, I guess, is the name of the restaurant. Oh, the salad buffet? The the salad buffet restaurant, yeah, which has everything that uh, you can imagine in a salad, plus many other things as well. So that was an unpaid commercial for Sweet Tomatoes. But anyway, uh, we were actually excited to have our version of that smorgasbord in the person of Michael Behe, because his new book actually contains over 100 bite-sized, and I mean cute, short little chapters, and I like short chapters. And these range anywhere from one-pagers up to maybe six-page. And so that's about my size. And he's replying to his critics. So I'm mean, good and gracious. Does his scalpel and uh, little sword ever come out as he slices and dices You know the feeble attempts to pull down his um, points that he's made in his books? It's going to be a lot of fun to have Michael be- Behe with us. So um, shifting gears to one... Big event coming up in February, and people who are living in, let's say, the East Coast, the West Coast, the North Central part of this country, as well as in our sector, the Southeast and Florida specifically, you will be able to participate uh, virtually in our virtual 2021 Vision Banquet. It's a banquet that is celebrating 25 years on the Internet at apologetics.org the 15th anniversary coming up here in about a month and a half of our amazing, wonderful, um, and thank you so much, Nick, for all your help in it, but our amazing, wonderful Universe Next Door program. Been on the air for 15 years, and also we've been actually in ministry, my wife and I, for 35. So we have wow. a triple anniversary, and so to recognize this, you may have heard rumors. The rumors are true. Sean McDowell the son of Josh McDowell, fantastic author, amazing speaker. He'll be our our guest uh, keynote speaker. We have Steve Meyer going to be joining us, giving us an update on his book that will be coming out just a couple weeks after our banquet. And the banquet is the evening of February the 18th. That's a Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on the East Coast. That'll be like 6 p.m. in Chicago, 4 p.m., over on the West Coast. But if you're listening at any anywhere in the U.S. or even beyond, overseas or through our podcast, mark that on your little uh, schedule. You know, save the date, February 18th, Thursday evening, our 2021 virtual banquet. And I am allowed now. It is official. We have music provided by none other than Keith and Kristen Getty, the authors uh, and very, very powerful singers of that In Christ Alone hymn probably the number one hymn of our time, and they have authored, as you probably know, Nick, some dozen upon dozen of other great hits and modern hymns that are beautifully mm-hmm. sung. They're just laced with great doctrine. Are you excited about having the Gettys, along with Sean and, and Steve?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be awesome. They've done such a great job of taking like a modern approach to writing hymns. Yep. It's very yes. interesting.
2: It's it's like a blend of a contemporary song with with the power and and the and the and the truth the dynamic truth of the hymn all wrapped in one amazing sing along experience. So, mm-hmm. but these but these uh, songs that they're uh, doing for a banquet. I just talked with Keith. He was uh, he and I were on a private phone link. He from Northern Ireland. I here in Florida, and he was super excited to discuss how they were going to pull this off and and make it happen. And so this virtual banquet, just mark it down, February 18th. Now, for a shifting of gears, we're going to be going into our uh, Life of Christ point. We've been talking about the seven-point gospel apologetics whammy. And the whammy means a strong, you know, um, counterattack to somebody who's coming in at you. And, of course, the atheists, uh, the critics of Christianity have said, not enough evidence, or, and sometimes, uh, on some occasions, they may even say no evidence. But we believe that there is, in fact, good evidence, strong evidence, even overwhelming evidence to support what Christ has said and what the Word of God is teaching us. So hold on to your hats. We're going to be taking a little look at the sight, the sights and sounds of Christmas, but even beyond that. Now, uh, Nick, let me ask you, do you enjoy the sights of Christmas? What are your, some of your favorite things that you see and, and your, your, really smack your, your vision, your eyes, make your eyes, as it were, you and your wife, Katie, just uh, make, your, make your eyes sparkle. What do you like to see at Christmas?
1: Oh, a whole lot of it. I, I love to see the nativity scene. I love to see um, stores starting to sell Christmas stuff as early as October and November and, and just <laughs> all the lights on the houses. There's just everything.
2: Yeah. Well, me too. I mean, I, I'll never forget when my mom and dad pointed out there There was a little um, airplane flying over our part of Illinois. We were across the river from St. Louis, so maybe where they were in their final approach with a little red light on one end of the airplane. And my dad pointed up and he said, well, see, there's Santa. He's starting his runs around, around St. Louis, and so he'll be over here to Alton, Illinois, anytime now. And I'll never forget seeing that that red little light in the sky moving around. I thought, wow, is that really Santa? Well, no comment <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, I don't know how many children are listening, but what what is truly, what is uh, not in any doubt in my mind, is the powerful testimony of this star that led the Magi to worship the Christ child in his home. Of course, he had been moved into a home by then, probably about a year later, and so that was an amazing, an amazing um, adventure for the Magi to take, you know, a good chunk of a year to travel over and discover where he was to be born. Of course, the Micah chapter 5 verse 2 prophecy of Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah was revealed through some scholars as they visited King Herod, and of course they arrived in just the nick of time to see a little boy, a little toddler, as it were, perhaps one and a half. We don't know exactly how old Jesus was at that point. And I, I consider it a forgivable sin when people put the Magi in the manger scene, you know, just as an attempt to collapse yeah. it all together. So I yeah. don't get too nitpicky. But, of course, the Magi came along, and I think it was actually, my theory, for, for what it's worth, it wasn't any conjunction of ja- of Saturn or Jupiter. I think we're going to have on the 21st of this month a rare first and closest in eight centuries conjunction. So we're going to get our telescope out and take a good look at that. But I think what happened is the actual um, Shekinah glory of God himself, the same Shekinah that appeared hovering over the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, the same Shekinah that you see appearing here and there in the Old Testament. I think that's Shekinah glory the manifestation of God's holy presence and his dazzling greatness and majesty actually was shining in the, in the sky and led them not only to Israel in fulfillment of the prophecies, which they had probably read from the book of Daniel. We're, we're not sure, but those magi, perhaps, um, you know, priests of the Zoroastrian faith, uh, a kind of a variation on monotheism, Perhaps we're reading Daniel and we're amazed at the Nebuchadnezzar declaration that there is only one God, and he's the God of Israel. So who knows? They may have been converted by reading the, the leftovers, uh, the book of Daniel and other writings of Daniel. But that speculation is—it becomes truth in the fact that they did come, they did understand that Christ was the king, they did worship him, and of course protected by God. And uh, the baby also, of course, protected through the dream to Joseph. All, all things uh, continued on God's perfect plan to bring that baby into the world and to grow him up to become the Messiah. So I think the Shekinah glory uh, theory has a lot of weight for me because we see the star coming down and directing them even to the very house where the Christ child was dwelling. And how can a star way up in the sky be triangulated down to an individual house. We just don't have that kind of, you know, GPS potential from a star in the sky. But if the star has the ability as a cloud, a hovering cloud of, of glorious, as it were, um, luminous super matter, in other words, in the form of a, of a of a gaseous cloud hovering, and yet that cloud can descend and literally sit just a couple hundred yards of uh, or even at Uh, to 100 feet above the exact house where Jesus was. And I think it was that Shekinah glory that most likely guided the the Magi to the spot where they could find the Christ child and worship him. So um, I think that the sights of Christmas remind us that Jesus is the God of vision. He is the one who invented eyes. He's the one that invented those amazing cells, the retinal cells, rods and cones, which as we know from Michael Behe himself, are dependent for the transmission of the image that is the signal to the brain which produces the idea or or the sensory image in your brain of that Shekinah glory cloud, the star. That could not happen unless all 20 of those proteins in the sequence called the vision cascade were set up and running. And who's the one that authored that 20-protein vision cascade, this molecular system that is dazzlingly complex? None other than Jesus himself. So it was the Lord Jesus who then, when he grew up, had the power to heal the blind. And I think that's pretty staggering. I mean, just think of it. Um, Even the one man that was born blind, we find him in John chapter 9, that particular incident is amazing because the problems with that man's retina or his eye—we don't know if it was, you know, some kind of um, hereditary disease. Perhaps uh, my um, older brothers and I had to be checked when we were one year old to see if perhaps we had the same inherited uh, retina cancer disease that my first cousin um, Karen. And then my first cousin, Peter, had, and then my grandmother, wow. then my grandmother Isabel, had retinoblastoma. and it manifests itself at age one through kind of a cat look or kind of a dog or cat gleam in the eye. So we were checked. We were found to be OK, so apparently the recessive gene was not conveyed uh, through the line of my mother, but it was through my aunt Irene. And that's why two of my first cousins had their eyes removed and to this day have glass eyes. So, I mean, but God is good. He knows what he's doing when he builds this majestic organ called the eye. And when it goes bad, the Lord Jesus has the ability to heal it. Now, when we look in the Bible, we see that there is actually an amazing passage that predicted that in the Messianic age, when the Messiah breaks through, Uh, miracles would happen and if anybody wants to turn to that passage if you have uh, the opportunity to just uh, flip over to Isaiah and look at chapter 35 you'll see the description in the opening section of that chapter an amazing portrayal of the Messianic age the Kingdom Age and all the blessings that are flowing into the earth through that coming of the Messiah but if you look at verses 5 and 6 in Isaiah 35, you see something shocking. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah, which is the, the kind of the, the dry... Uh, almost quasi-desert region in the southern reaches of Israel. So we see something of a prophecy which then can be connected to what Jesus begins to do in his public ministry at age 30, 31, 32. We don't know exactly how old he was, but somewhere around the year 30 A.D. Jesus announces that the the kingdom has arrived. The kingdom of God on earth has come. And uh, he doesn't add this phrase, but I would add this phrase, because the king is here, the kingdom has come. So we see the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the, of the person of the king in Jesus. Now, he doesn't uh, articulate the latter part in words, but he articulates it in actions. And what the actions are, are, are teaching with authority like no one has seen or heard in a long time, Uh, He doesn't cite rabbi X or Y or Z, he just says, the Lord says. He he speaks as a true prophet. Uh, He also is is, um, bringing people to God, he's relating them to God, so he acts Mm -hmm. like the priest. And with great authority as the king, the prince or the king, he throws out the money changers from the temple. So his actions are lining up with prophet, priest, and king the claim that he made in front of the great Caiaphas, the high priest, who said in Mark 14, tell us, don't keep us in suspense any longer. Are you the Messiah? And he said to him, in response, Jesus said, I am. The simple words, I am, speak louder than anything that we could hear you know, prior to that. But even the hints were dropped right and left that he was the Messiah. Now, what you see here in this uh, passage I just read It was a prediction that when the Messiah came, you would know it. When the Messiah arrived, you would be sure that it was the Messiah. Why? Because of the miracle explosion. And there was a literal explosion of miracles. In fact, I teach at Trinity College periodically. I'm doing it again this spring. Uh, And a particular course I love to teach, and it's called The Miracles of Christ. We study every single one of the 35 miracles. Now, what kind of miracles did he do? Well, he raised the dead, Jairus' daughter, um, the woman who was in the funeral procession, the widow of Nain, and of course, last but not least, Lazarus himself, raised from the dead. That's the most spectacular miracle. We have a unique miracle in Jesus um, turning into a bright, speak of Shekinah glory, his body, radiated, radiated with Shekinah glory, on the Mount of Transfiguration. But there's something special, there's something unique that really stands out about Jesus healing the blind. We mentioned the chapter 9 of John healing the man born blind, but we could talk about many other examples. And if you go into the Bible, one of the characteristic things about God himself that he says in the Old Testament is that he and only he gives sight to the blind. I'm reading from Psalm 146, verse 8 now. The Lord, and that's Yahweh, the eternal, uh, uncreated source of everything, the master and ruler and maintainer of the universe. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. Now notice that these trio of statements begin with, the Lord gives sight to the what? Blind Go to Isaiah, twenty nine verse eighteen. Or this is before the Isaiah thirty five passage we read. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. That's amazing, Isaiah twenty nine eighteen. And the dark and darkness um, out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. And let me jump up to Isaiah forty two. We're in verse seven now, Isaiah forty-two seven. Uh, the purpose of the Messiah is to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So there are th- three times in the book of Isaiah, not to mention the Psalm one forty-six passage, that it re- reveals the purpose of Christ to heal the blind. Isaiah forty-two eighteen add some icing on this cake that says, hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. And um, just as we see, we see the many healings of, of Christ, of people that were sick, that were lepers, uh, that were afflicted with all kinds of diseases and even demonic attacks, we see in Matthew 11.5 this summary statement, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, to me, that says it all. Because to put credentials that there was a God visitation to this planet and that he died in our place, he died for our sins, every single one of them, and he rose again and offers the ultimate Christmas gift, the incredible wonder gift of eternal life, forgiveness eternal life with Christ now eternal life with Christ in heaven that is the good news I think mine eyes have seen the glory and I thank God for raising not like Christ from the dead but opening our eyes to see him back to you Nick
1: it truly is the most amazing gift salvation and we pray and hope that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ that is truly all it takes it does not take any work uh, or any Ability on your part, it is simply just believing that He is your Savior. So we thank you for listening, and we will see you back here next week on the Universe Next Door.